there aren't that many people that are experts in the space, right? If, if you're working at a fairly large D2C company and you're going to hire somebody to manage your subscription program, you're probably going to look at a marketer or somebody with an IT background that's worked in subscriptions before, but it's nothing somebody goes to school for. Welcome to Subscriptions Scale, sponsored by Rebar Technology. Join us each week to hear from industry leaders in the subscription space, share their best tips and stories, and learn how you can up-level your subscription business today. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Subscription Scaled. I'm your host, Nick Frederick. With me today is Matt Holman, who is the head of growth at QPilot. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nick. Glad to be here. Yeah, good to have you on. Uh, you know, I've chatted back and forth a, a, a couple times online, but I'm excited to kind of dive in here and learn more about you know what you do and certainly what QPilot is and kind of what you guys are specialized on. But why don't we uh, start there? Give us a little bit of your background and kind of what you do at, at QPilot. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a growth marketer, which means I do a lot of content creation, lead generation for our software. But really a lot of that, we're a product-led company. So really when we're talking growth, that means working directly with our customers. So I do a lot of audit analysis, recommendations. So it kind of dovetails nicely with content creation because that's the type of content we create on. We can help people scale their programs. So my background is in logistics, actually. Before I worked for QPilot, I worked for uh, e-commerce logistics company called eHub. So I'm very familiar with the shipping space and logistics space, which is a kind of a good way of, of introducing why QPilot is a little bit different is when they, the founder was looking for a marketer, he wanted somebody who understood delivery and shipping outcomes. Because while like, you know, a lot of great platforms like Rebar are built to create these, you know, really custom and powerful billing solutions, QPilot is really focused on delivery outcomes. So subscriptions that need delivery outcomes, it's not all of them, but that's where we really, really shine and where we have a lot of differentiation. What was missing from the market in general or some of the solutions that were out there that you know, QPilot's really solving for there? Sure. Yeah. If you think about the evolution of the space, I think like, you know, we were both at Subta, really big common customer and subscriptions are subscription boxes. And so those are really predicated on the idea that you don't have to worry about inventory. You don't have to worry about shipping charges because it's really just kind of like a flat fee or a cost you're facing every time. You don't need to figure it out ahead of time. But as subscriptions have evolved, people are now getting complex SKUs, right? Like a, a store might be offering you buy this one product, you're upselling another product into there. And, and still, even then, like I'm a fan of Dollar Shave Club, right? It's really easy to add something to an order. For most brands, if that changes the cost of the shipping, the way most subscription platforms are built, you just find out what that shipping cost is when it processes. The customer doesn't really see it and the brand doesn't really see it. And that can be a problem if, you're, if the brand is covering the cost of the shipping, that's really can be a nightmare. Or if the customer is paying the cost of that shipping, they find out afterwards, oh, that upsell actually costs you another $10 in shipping. So that as a problem, like that's a problem. So one of the reasons why subscriptions are a little bit lagging behind innovations around general shopping cart experiences is because of that technology is a little bit lacking. You can't just change whatever you want on about a subscription order unless you see inventory, unless you see shipping, like you have to act the way a regular shopping cart would. And it's hard to build that kind of experience, which is why the Dollar Shave Clubs of the world build it themselves. Yeah, that does sound pretty complicated. So are you guys exclusively focused on subscription or kind of any e-commerce? We call them scheduled orders because we like to think about it's a scheduling practice. We do a lot with D2C. We're completely on WooCommerce right now, but we're rolling out a Shopify and Salesforce integration later this year. Those are obviously going to be separate. 
we have a lot of people that are doing D2C as well as B2B wholesale. So if you think about a, a wholesale order might not normally be a subscription, but if it can be really flexible and you can change the order from a small box to a case, then it makes a lot more sense and there's more predictability. So, Absolutely. So are you seeing a lot of that have to do with like replenishment of consumables and things like that or kind of, kind of running, run the gamut? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Like one of our customers sells tattoo recovery supplies in a tattoo parlors, right? So those orders might change or fluctuate based on how much they're consuming or using, as well as something as simple as like you buy a water filtration system and you want to get the filters on a, on a subscription. Like I have a bullfrog spa and we get our filter stuff on a Qpilot subscription, which is kind of fun. I'm interested. Let's talk a little bit about content creation and kind of what that means for you guys. Like yeah, I'm sure you're very interested in other subscription businesses in the space and kind of what they're doing and, you know, creating that ecosystem and being those subject matter experts around uh, shipping for subscription businesses. But what, what's interesting to you guys and what do you see resonating with your target audience? Well, there's a couple things. I think the first thing really comes down to, from a subscription standpoint, there aren't that many people that are experts in the space, right? If if you're working at a fairly large D2C company and you're going to hire somebody to manage your subscription program, you're probably going to look at a marketer or somebody with an IT background that's worked in subscriptions before, but it's nothing somebody goes to school for. It's nothing that there's not like a, a really strong niche or titles or roles within a lot of companies for this. It's often just kind of thrown on the marketing department and IT to figure out how to do it. So for us, a lot of the, innovate, the content that resonates are people that are looking to how to figure this out. Like I'm a marketer, I've been doing D2C for 10 years, but I've never run a subscription program before. And now suddenly my business is prioritizing this and I need information on how to do that. So, so that's the first one um, is just creating content that help people to understand how subscriptions work, best practices, what other brands are doing. And I'm sure you've seen that's something people ask all the time. Well, how is so-and-so doing it? How is so-and-so doing it? Like, what are they doing to make that happen? And then the other one is really about flexibility. So for us, the position we're trying to take is we're just saying we try to be a really flexible subscription offering, which is overkill for a lot of businesses. A lot of businesses don't need that. So that's fine. We're not a fit for everybody. We're looking for people that need something that's a little bit more flexible. Like again, like at Subta, a lot of the subscription boxes, you don't need to change what day you get your box on. That's not how the business model works. But if you're ordering pet food and you're going to be in Miami next week instead of in Denver and you want to change where your order gets delivered, we're great. That's where we focus. Well, that's the kind of flexibility that customers really expect now, right? Like that's a perfect example. And I'm actually in that exact situation right this second where my need, actually my dog would be to go to Florida, not to Tennessee uh, next week. So I need that, that kind of flexibility, but you got to be seeing more and more of that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you think about too, a lot of people might think it might be a typical business might have 60, 70, maybe even 80% of their platform of their subscribers don't make changes. But that's still a significant percentage of people that might churn because you don't get something. As you know, it literally one little tiny friction point is all it takes for somebody to be gone. So like we looking at our, our own data, we see if somebody makes one change to an order, even if it's just changing the frequency or they push it out two weeks, just changing one thing is a boost in $65 boost in LTV, just one change. If they make a couple, it's like a 200% increase in LTV. So basically you have somebody who would have canceled who's deciding to stick around. And that's really what it comes down to five, 10, maybe even 20% of your platform that you might are in danger of, of losing because they're on vacation this month. They wanna make a change or they have too much of something. That's another really common issue in the subscription space is, oh, I have too much. 
well, people cancel. Well, if you can make it easy to change or postpone or push that out and you're communicating that, then maybe you keep that customer a little bit longer than you would have otherwise. Because I'm sure you guys see it in payment space, you live on, people live on the margins. Their businesses are living and dying on the margins. That five or 10% change can make or break a business. Absolutely, 100%. Don't you think that also represents a more engaged subscriber, somebody that's actually taking the time to go in and, and change a, a billing date as opposed to the ones who actually forgot that they signed up for the subscription at all and are just kind of waiting for that day that they remember to cancel? Completely. It's a total level, different level of engagement and involvement. And to me, when people ask me about how, how do I see this space, e-commerce space evolving is I think brands that continue to innovate around engagement, whether that's content, experience, products they're offering, those are the ones that are going to continue to thrive and grow. It's interesting because, and we talk about this here on the podcast with guests all the time, is I've been doing subscriptions for about 20 years. And some of the products that when I came in that, that we sold were, to be frank, set it, forget it products. It was kind of the do the great marketing, get them to sign up. But you were kind of knowing that a good percentage of the base had just signed up and kind of forgot they had it, weren't using it, whatever. And that model in subscriptions has just completely flipped the other way around. And that's a good way to kill a business right now is to not engage with your customers. And I think that's good for the long-term health of the industry too, is that we do have more engaged consumers because there's so much choice out there. There's all this talk about subscription fatigue and we have too many and there's the ones that we're not using. But the way you get a customer to not churn is to engage them more and maybe reach out to them and be like, hey, we saw that you haven't used this for a while or you know, whatever, whatever data points you have that can point to that and, and try to even engage with them more, not, not wake the dead the way we used to, right? Yeah, I like to joke about it like it's like you don't want to be running a gym membership. Like your subscription program isn't about you get somebody to sign up and you don't want them to ever show up. You want them to show up because when they show up, you can sell them more. They're more valuable. They're going to stick around longer. They're going to engage with your brand. They're going to become brand ambassadors. And not everybody will do that, but that's the kind of customer you want to, you want to go after. I like that point too, the brand ambassadors, the ones that become evangelists of, of your product because they're the ones that are using it the most. And in it, we're living now in a time where customer acquisition costs just keep going up and up and up and up. And some channels are even cost prohibitive now. Keeping the ones you got is a, is a very sound strategy instead of just putting it back into, you know, putting the next customer in the top of the funnel, right? I mean, if you think about like COVID, something we saw with our platform was people were selling out of inventory for newly acquired customers that they just had some high CAC on Facebook ads, and then they didn't have product for their subscription customers. And like, how are you going to pay $50 for a new customer when you could just make $20 of profit by just processing this order over here? That's literally the trade-off we're looking at. I mean, there's a balance there, obviously. Was those poor marketing decisions or are they a result of hey, I sold a product online that people couldn't go to a store to get. And all of a sudden, I just had a flood of orders that I, was, I wasn't expecting. I didn't forecast. So it still happens. I mean, in the typical classic sense, that's poor inventory management. You just sell out on your Shopify store without paying attention to how many you need to keep on hand for subscribers for the next, say, like, again, the fact of, you know, the purchasing department might know they're not getting new product for three months, but the marketing department doesn't know that and they might know that, but then nobody reserving three to four months of inventory for subscribers and stopping sales. COVID was like, you know, a flash in the pan. Sales are suddenly quadrupling three, four, 500% overnight. And so there weren't systems in place because it was really just communication up to that point. So people were selling out way faster than they expected. And then they're running out of product for people that were hoping to get, to get it. So when you were talking a few minutes ago about, helping businesses go through the transition to 
you know, e-commerce subscription rather, and and maybe was a transactional business, and now they're looking at the market around them, maybe competitors, and saying, I need to get into that game too. Whether that's a wholesale shift in in how they do business, or it's a, I want to offer this alongside. So, do you guys help them through that journey? Yes. I mean, the easiest way we help people is if they're already selling online, if they're selling one time and they're trying to offer a subscription option as well, uh, subscribe and save. We do get a lot of businesses that are coming and trying to figure out how to launch from scratch. I was talking to a really innovative brand this morning around uh, they're launching a, a specific boutique service for natural breast milk, right? So a powder form you can use to try to make that, right? That's really healthy. So it really comes down to trying to, I think a lot of the questions you get when I'm dealing with people that are trying to figure that out, or I should say talking to people that are trying to figure that out, it, is let's be realistic about how long it takes to craft a really complex, fully integrated, incredible customer experience subscription program. You don't build Dollar Shave Club overnight. And a lot of brands are like, oh, I, I want to sell bottles of wine on a subscription or this. So the idea that you're going to go from uh, you know, not doing it to a Tesla in six months or even two years is, is very unrealistic. So I'm always counseling brands that they should be figuring out what MVP can they use to start testing their theory. So if somebody just says, oh, we want to start offering subscriptions, that next question is why? What kind of engagement are you going to get? Why type of offering? If you don't understand why people are buying from you one time, how are you going to understand why they would buy from you on a subscription basis? So gathering that data and that information, and then setting an MVP so you can start testing, start gathering reasons why people are subscribing, why people are canceling. Those two things need to be married together because good brands understand that if somebody churns because they have too much, they're going to change their product page to explain how much you should be ordering in the first place. If somebody's canceling because they feel like there's not enough flavor options and they get tired of getting the same flavor every week, that brand is then going to innovate and roll out new flavors, right? So that's how you should be thinking about your subscription program. You're going to figure it out as you go. What do you think is, and it's probably a combination, but what do you think are some of the main drivers of transactional brands wanting to go subscription? Is it because of what they see happening around them and, and their competitors doing? Or is it they're looking at their data and seeing the same customer making repeat orders and they you know, want to lock them in? Like, it's certainly, unfortunately, I think a lot of it is driven by a top-down view of like revenue and predictability and profitability, meaning like, oh, we're having this unpredictable view. Let's, if we go to a subscriber model, we can now, and, and I get that. Like when we're talking to businesses, you have to understand the investment, the ROI, those types of things. So I think that's a big driver. And the problem is, is that sometimes those conversations are with people that think that it's going to be easy. You just flip a switch and you're now going to have all this revenue. It's, it actually should be viewed as like a separate channel in a sense. It's going to have different technology requirements, different sales approaches, different messaging. You can't just have the same email flows for a subscription as you do for an abandoned cart. Those have to be different. But the best brands are doing it because they see the data. So if it's a, I think it's not just going to be repeat purchases. It's going to be around consumption. So there are brands that are good at converting to people's subscribers right away. And that's because they understand that they've positioned their product in such a way that you feel like it's something I should be taking regularly and that I want to take it from this brand regularly. It should be easy to manage and cancel. I'm sure that's something you guys have talked about a lot too, right? It should make it really easy for people to, to get out of that if they don't want it, because if they feel comfortable, they're going to stick around longer too. It's kind of a barrier to entry if they believe that this brand is going to bury my cancel button or not, or just make it difficult for me in, in general. Not only that, but then after, if they do need to cancel for some legitimate reason, the easier you make that for them, the more likely they are to come back later. If they, maybe they lost their pet, maybe their pet died. So that, you know, they need to stop that until you know, they get a new one. So things like that go a long way towards kind of building that brand uh, trust, right? Between them and their customer. 
Absolutely. We're talking about the the flexibility. Box clubs are known for being monthly, right? They're just send it out once a month. But when we talk about certain products, that you know that doesn't that, that works in plenty of situations, but it doesn't work especially in consumption models, right? People use things at different rates, and they may or may not want to have a month's worth of paper towels on hand or something like that. They might might only want to have a week's worth or something like that. So. How are you seeing more of a shift away from monthly? And if so, like what are they looking at? And is it variable term? Yes, I think there is a shift. It's not like a drastic one. I mean, there's still like subscription boxes and, and the set and forget mentality is still alive and well. And again, as I mentioned, like within any given business, you're actually probably going to have 60 to 80% of your subscribers are ordering it the way you think they should, which is on a monthly basis or that's the most common frequency. So, you know, you're going to buy a 30 pills in a bottle, you're going to get one every month. And so a lot of those are doing really well. But again, I think the brands that are seeing, if you want to create a more engaging experience where you've used these up faster than you thought, or you didn't take them because you forgot them when you went on a trip for two weeks. And so now you have an extra half a month supply. Is it easy to push that out? Is it easy to change that? That's where that flexibility comes in is giving some power and control back to the user. I think the future of that is thinking about subscriptions that are more usage or consumption based, based off of like the behavior. So if I'm a 25 to 30 year old male, why not? I should say, if I'm a 41 year old male who's working out, I'm going to consume glutamine and protein powder at a different rate than somebody who's 10 years younger than me or 10 years older than me. So I have the first couple of months of my subscription, I'm doing some check-ins with that, right? Amazon has a scale. You can weigh the product on to see how much is left, right? Once the brand starts to learn based on who I am, my demographic, as well as what my consumption is, it can now predict for me. Hey, based on somebody like you actually should have a three-week subscription. You should have a three and a half week subscription and being able to kind of like control that, cue that up. I think messaging and engagement are really important. It's like, hey, your order's about to process, not so much so you know, as much as, hey, go check. How much do you need? Are you high? Are you low? Do you need it sooner? And if you need it sooner, there's an expedited shipping option so you don't have to get it off Amazon. It's interesting. And it's kind of goes back to what we were talking about before me meeting each individual consumer kind of where they need to be. Historically, though, and probably still the case today, that can create some business complexity, right? It certainly makes forecasting more difficult if you are constantly adjusting when customers are replenishing and things like that. So what challenges does that bring up that you need to be aware of? There's a few things like we were talking about inventory planning. Fulfillment operations are really important as well. For a lot of brands, when they're only doing fulfillment on certain days of the week, that model kind of flies in the face of that, right? So if you want something to be able to go out on two-day shipping on a Wednesday so somebody can get it on a Friday and you do fulfillment on Monday, right? That's a problem. So learning to be a little bit more flexible with your fulfillment is one thing. But software does solve a lot of the issues. So if you're looking to think about inventory planning, like our platform sees what inventory is available. So if somebody changes a product out for another product, they're never going to add a product that's out of stock. They're only going to be able to add in products that are out of stock. So, and there's communications as well as operations. So typically about how you would do your order fulfillment, if an order gets placed the same way it would be from a one-time purchase, somebody checks out, it hits your OMS and you fulfill it, right? So a subscription platform needs to be doing something similar where it's time to process these orders. I'm going to put them into the OMS so you can fulfill as normal. So it doesn't matter from an aggregate business level view that 10 of my people moved up a week and 10 of them moved out a week because I'm just going to be seeing those per slight permutations in fulfillment. If you're thinking at scale, and again, with the planning element, it's good to start seeing those trends. Whereas I've got different frequencies, like I've got 80% of my platform on one month, I've got 10% on three week. 
I've got another 10% on two week. And so there might be some stuff that gets moved around. But again, those are fringe cases. They're important because that's again, where if you can make yourself 10% more profitable, like that's the difference between keeping the lights on and closing for a lot of businesses. So that's kind of where that approach is, but the aggregate, how the whole platform or program gets run, it should be done in such a way where it's not, you're not creating a special use case because five people change their order to Miami next week. And so you can get to that too. Like if it's food prep or other things, it, you just have to build in cushions within the customer experience and the software. So if you're getting pet food and it's made there naturally and stuff, and so it takes five days, well, people can't change their order five days out, right? It's putting in safeguards like that so that that process is, is like incorporated into kind of how you're doing things already. Are all of your, I mean, your clients are coming to you because of that flexibility and what you guys are able to enable. Are they having to transform then their business from a fulfillment, customer service, finance perspective to then be able to, the rest of the business be able to function that way as well to add in that level of flexibility or are they prepared for it by the time they come to you? Typically prepared for it. I mean, we have a few people that it, usually it's a question of scale. So if you're not doing fulfillment every day, it's usually because you're small or you're usually are doing a very, very particular set of fulfillment. So you might still be doing it scale, but maybe you only do it on Monday, Tuesdays because of there's a lot of moving parts that go into it. But most businesses are doing fulfillment every day because they're getting in a large volume of orders off their site. You need to fulfill them quickly. That's important for customer experience. So that part isn't really necessarily that hard. And then the way we work with WooCommerce particularly is we built to be fairly seamless. So we're meant to kind of go into operations the way you might expect from a one-time order. That's one of the ways we've, we've built that to work. The trick is when somebody wants something there are edge cases where people want a different checkout experience, right? Like, you know, maybe they only ship to a certain region. So they need like location control on certain subscription types can only be ordered in Nebraska because that's where their fulfillment is for that type of thing. So, so there is a little bit of like tweaking that can sometimes happen, but it's usually an extension of a business that's already doing one-time orders in a certain way. And they want to layer in a subscription or repeat purchase program. And then the other side of it is somebody who's completely subscription and they're trying to overcome a technical hurdle that they're currently doing something manual and they want something automated. You've talked about like, and it's so true, being able to accommodate these edge use cases, you don't want it to overcomplicate your business, but yet that might be the difference between being profitable and not, right? So you want to figure out a way to, to solve these things. When it comes to that level of flexibility, do you advise that you need to be at a certain level of scale to, in order for that to make sense? And if they are small and just starting out, do you think it is better for them to just try to stay within you know, certain silos or lanes and maybe not allow it to be too complicated for their customers? No, because of the way we see the platform, I think that, again, this is how we integrate with WooCommerce. It's easy to add flexibility with us. There's customization you can do, but if you're on WooCommerce specifically, like we can do a lot more than what you can get from a bunch of other plugins and options. So you know, if you can't afford that entry level price of $49 a month, then that's prohibitive. But I think it does come down to understanding your user experience and what you're trying to drive with say related to like Shopify, there are a lot of apps, there are a lot of subscription apps out there. So when you're evaluating different choices, you sometimes have trade-offs between different levels of customer experience because some apps do things a little bit differently. So you do have to figure out what works best for your business. But with what we've seen with the flexibility side, it's like, why not? Some people lock us down a little bit, say they're doing meal prep and they only want to ship on Tuesday, Thursdays. So those are the only options you can pick for your fulfillment. Yeah. Cool. They are locking things down a little bit, right? But that related to their business. But otherwise, if we are preaching that flexibility is better, 
So why not use it at an earlier time just because it's better experience and you can craft your brand around it? Yeah, this is interesting. And talking to some of the businesses on here that are, are longer, have been around for a longer period of time and talking through their journey of, well, we kept things simple in the beginning and then we wanted to add in flexibility or, or whatever throughout their journey, what that took to go from just to add what seemed like flexible shipping dates or, or something like that and what it took, what it used to take to do those sorts of things. And now how the industry has evolved to platforms like yours and like ours that are super flexible and really can let you do anything pretty much out of the gate um, within reason, of course, but you know, allow you to do a lot of different things that differentiating yourself, your business with the tools that are out there is actually easier than it's ever been, right? Would you agree with that? I would ask you as a counter question is like, how easy, how much easier is it to sell to somebody who's tried to build what you can do already versus somebody who hasn't? They already know the pain points. They already know how hard it is, right? They already know the pain points, right? And it's hard to convince somebody who hasn't gone through it that there are pain points, right? That's the funny thing is that operators who are like, oh, well, I would assume that any subscription software could do what you could do. And it's like, yes and no, there are elements of that. But it, especially on WooCommerce, it's not really common. There's not a ton of apps popping up that do all this stuff like they do on Shopify. And so it's, it's a little bit harder for people. It's often easier sale for us if they've tried to do it themselves, gone the custom route, that type of thing. And then when you show it to them, it's like, oh, look how easy it is. So I think coming back to a lot of people don't realize the innovation. And that's part of that marketing piece is like understanding like you've been dealing with these kind of pain points. It's actually really easy to solve that now, like with rebar, right? You can do X, Y, Z now when it used to take all this code and all this development and all this stuff, you don't need that anymore. So that is definitely kind of circling back to your other question is it's sometimes it's marketing's job to let people know, you know, this is actually really easy now. So sometimes we do get at QPilot, we get caught up by some of these edge case customers are doing something really innovative that we can make happen really easily. But a lot of them are just still just selling regular products on a subscription. They're just trying to make it a little bit easier, a little bit better. And there's a trade-off between our dream, like we're innovating and changing the space and it's never going to be the same again versus like, you know, 90% of our customers are trying to sell pet food and CBD and supplements. They're just trying to do it in a better way. They're just, and that's it. Well, I'm going to selfishly ask this question, especially to you who's a content creator, but how do you message what Qpilot is capable of in an easy way because, well, in a condensed way, because attention spans are really short these days, in a way that you can educate them that this isn't as hard as you probably think it is. Yeah. I mean, it's been an interesting journey. I've been at Qpilot for a little over a year and a half. And when I first came in, we were touting a lot of the shipping and the features. And there was a lot of crickets, to be honest. Like it was, I think it comes down to a lot of people. It's, yeah, it, it, it was. And it wasn't until we kind of landed on this flexibility piece. And so a lot of times in marketing, I might actually be asking somebody, how much time do you spend changing a customer's order for them? Because if you're spending like even an hour a week making a couple of changes, you're willing to look at a solution that can automate all that for you. Your customer should be doing that. Or if you need to do it, it should be really easy. You should be able to change all this stuff easy yourself. Because if the customer can't do it, typically the backend user can't do it that much easier either. So when we kind of landed on that, we started to see some more success in that, that particular pain point people are looking for. And then again, some of the cool stuff we do with shipping and, and upsell opportunities and stuff like that, it, those are all good add-ons for a lot of things. But trying to just sell them, I think it's pretty noisy in this space. Everybody gets told they should be upselling. They know they should be upselling. So finding a way to differentiate with language is actually pretty hard. You can use use cases. We've used use cases. But a lot of times it comes down to just trying to finding a good pain point 
and it always does depend too on their awareness, right? If they're new to this, new to WooCommerce specifically, it's going to be different than somebody's established. Somebody's been around for a while. We can market against the most common plugin, which is WooCommerce subscriptions, and say, "Hey, you don't need to use this plugin plus the three other plugins plus the custom code to make them all work together. You can have one solution." And so that marketing can work as well, but it only works for people that know how big of a pain it is to do what we do already. Do you find a better ROI than? taking the identifying and trying to find the people who know they have a problem and are looking for a better way or the people that are just trudging through it and don't even know there's a better way and educating them on we have something that can solve your the pain you didn't even realize you had the latter those people if they're looking for solutions then they can find us right so we do well on google search we have youtube some things like that they can find us so those ones are the nicest they already know they have a problem they're trying to beat their head on the wall and they're looking for a solution on the former Again, they need to be doing it already. Those are the best. We do get some people that come in and they're launching from scratch. Obviously, we can still be helpful, but it sometimes is just a little bit. It's just one of those things until you actually know how painful or hard it is. It's hard to say like, you know, in the sales process, if, if implementation took an extra hour or an extra three days, it's like, well, that's three days compared to three months. You're happy. But if you've never done that before, three days seems like, well, why is this taking so long? So the sales process works a lot better for people that are trying to do it. You know, I just had a contact that I was pitching six months ago, just email me today, say, hey, we're ready to try it out because they had just switched to a new solution. They didn't want to go switch again. They needed to go through it for a while. And I kept in touch with them, letting them know what we do. And eventually they're like, okay, we're tired of this. We're willing to look at something new. And that's just what happens. I'm curious, six months ago, did you, was the likelihood that you thought they were going to reach back out, that they were going to see that 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 wasn't really the answer to the problem? Pretty much zero. The guy had put me in touch with like his marketing team and said, if they're interested, we'll do it. And they didn't ever respond to a couple of my messages because we do cold email outreach as well as some of our regular uh, paid and content creation. Yeah. So I thought it was kind of over. But again, it does come down to the right type of messaging. And when people are tired of managing it themselves, they're tired of how complicated managing a subscription program is. We simplify that. So it was a nice surprise. But yeah, like I said, I... I thought it was done. They were gone. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure it's the same for you guys as it is for us. The sales cycles are long, right? Because making these kind of decisions, making a switch, in our case, potentially migrating data, payment tokens, those kind of things, that's all painful. And, and while you might be talking about a cost savings or even some time savings, that has to overcome the switching cost. And is that something you try to help them quantify or when your guys are going through a sales cycle? Yes, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, that's part of our sales process is trying to get down to a time or monetary value on what frustration they're dealing with. Our implementation fees aren't that hard. You can typically implement us yourself or we'll do it for 500 bucks. So it's not necessarily super hard. But you know, then again, like switching from... And WooCommerce, a lot of people are used to buying plugins as one time or they'll buy a yearly... like They'll pay 200 bucks for a plugin for a year. So $150 monthly cost is like, that's 10, 12 times more than they're used to. So there's certainly an element of times where it's like, okay, you're spending how much time doing this right now? Okay. How much time is that worth? Right. A lot of the businesses we get, they feel like they've reached a cap with what they can do. They've reached a limit from a customer experience standpoint, a scale standpoint. They know they needed to be better at subscriptions and they aren't sure exactly how or why to do that. And again, that comes back to they might even have two or three marketers and a full-time CTO and a couple of devs, 
but it, they still don't have a subscription expertise on their program. They might be good at selling their own products, but how do you sell a subscription? How do you make that work? So we do run into a lot of brands that have been doing it for a little while. They might have a few hundred or a few thousand subscriptions and they're like, hey, we think we've reached the limit. How do we go to the next stage? And so those are really great customers because then we're not selling against pain, we're selling against opportunity, which is, I mean, the problem is too, then you have to wait for their timeline, their launch, their roadmap. But you do are able to offer more like, hey, we're a partner. This is the type of content we'll give you. We do regular audits and data check-ins. We'll make recommendations on where you should be implementing, things like that. So, Yeah. I got to think that that's extremely valuable, especially to a business that's growing right, and feeling like they might be hitting some sort of plateau. And I'm not just buying software here, but I'm, I'm buying people that or I'm investing in a partner that does this every day. right? They know this better than anybody, and I have somebody I can leverage. Do you guys view that as, as core to the to the offering is that consultative approach and kind of being there as a partner throughout there? Absolutely. We feel like our team, I mean, honestly, if you're thinking about a space where there's constant change, evolution and competition, you got to be if you're con- taking a consultative approach and you're learning what your business, this businesses need, you're actually we're learning as much as they are. We're learning more and more about what they're doing and what brands are trying to figure out which is really, really useful for our product roadmap and our marketing as well. And I don't like it because it's cliche. I will never tell somebody in a sales call or whatever, a demo that we're a partner. But when somebody tells me they're looking for a partner, I like try not to follow all over myself to tell them that that's us. So, but yeah, that's the way we like to operate. It's an entirely bastardized term at this point. I'm with you. I hate even almost saying the word because I know somebody's probably rolling their eyes, even if it's just figuratively, you know, over saying something like that. But when it's done right, it is a dramatic difference in the effectiveness of what they're getting, the value that they're getting out of what you're providing to them, not just the software, but the, the overall solution, right? It's just, it's dramatically different. I mean, coming from the, the payment space, one of my the frustrations when I was on the merchant side was just working with payment processors. And every time you called up, you either had a different assigned account manager who didn't know anything about you, or worse, you were given an 800 number and somebody who had no clue other than seeing you in a CRM, who you were and how you operated and how you were different from everybody else. And it makes all the difference in the world when somebody does understand your businesses and help and is helping you optimize it. Absolutely. It's the only way to go for real. Last question for you. You talked at the beginning about, you know, working with your customers and talking to them and understanding what their needs are and using that to drive the product roadmap and, and where it's going. That's easier said than done, right? You can always reach out to a customer, but how do you get their time? How do you get their attention? How do you ensure that the information, the data you're getting from them is honest feedback and not just something to get you to go away? Like, how do you extract from your customers what they really need? It's hard. I mean, because, you know, subscriptions, even for a lot of businesses are set and forget, like they want that program just to run. So if I check in periodically, a lot of times I do get ignored, but um, for us, it is a kind of like a product-led content. So we do webinars, we do teardowns for businesses. So some of our larger merchants, if I reach out and say, hey, I want to bring a CRO expert on and we're going to go over your data and make recommendations on your program, they'll listen then. So that's, you know, it's it's got to be an exchange. So when people wanted to do an audit or analysis, they're really interested, but check-ins and surveys and reviews kind of thing can be a little bit harder. You have to time those for when they actually reach out with a problem. So a lot of our learning is based off of people that are trying to innovate, trying to customize, running into an issue. And then when we engage with them through our support team, we get a lot of feedback that, that way as well. Do you find that the customers are open and honest with their, hey, if you guys could do this, it would make my life a lot easier. Are they giving that to your support folks or are you having to extract it? 
I mean, as sure as you know, if it's something you're not doing well or they feel like you do better, they're very, very easy to tell you that. We are in a fairly unique position where we really only lose customers to Shopify. There isn't a strong uh, subscription competitor that does the extent that we do on WooCommerce other than maybe like an order groove. Um, and they're like a huge type of implementation. So we just like to hear from people when things are working or not. That's how we develop our product roadmap. So we get a lot of feature requests. Those get logged. And depending on how many we get, we try to innovate and roll, roll those out. So so, so far it's pretty good, but we're not anywhere near the size of recharge, you know, so it's a different level of uh, engagement that's possible right now. Well, well, Matt, enjoyed this conversation and really appreciate all of the insights that you've shared today. If any of the listeners want to get in contact with you, learn more about QPilot, where can they go? Sure. Uh, look for me on LinkedIn, Matthew Holman, as well as on Twitter, I'm the subscription doc. And I did just launch a TikTok, but it's a little bit rough right now. So I've got a subscription prescription newsletter. So if somebody wants to look for me on Twitter or LinkedIn, they can subscribe to it through there. Well, thanks again. Really appreciate the time today. And uh, thanks, man. Just thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Subscription Scale, sponsored by Rebar Technology. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast and share this episode with your network.